0: guys welcome back to another edition of monday warfare the battles within we're at episode 14 and happy march everyone happy march steve i think that means spring wrestlemania a lot of things are around the corner
1: yeah lots of good things coming around the corner for sure
0: yeah you know i hated the fact that we've been bombarded with snow but now that it melted today it was like 50 degrees here today after being like seven degrees two days ago but now that it's 75 eh, percent melted I kind of groan because that means that time of year is coming where I have to cut the grass and weed and edge and pull weed. Oh, just, I don't know, man. Sometimes I just wish the snow covered the grass all year round. I don't know. I
1: already miss the snow. I I love snow. It's so peaceful and um, it's pretty beautiful to say the least. So I miss it for sure. It looks so dirty and nasty. like When there's very little left and all you got is like your mud pits and snow that...
0: Oh uh, yeah, the like disgusting uh, plowed up piles. Yeah, oh yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's pretty nasty. So, when it's well, <laughs> six seven inches deep. It's uh, it's quite the sight. I feel sorry for those people who can't ever experience that.
0: And in case you guys don't know by now, you're talking or you're listening to Ray Russell and Steve Ekstat. Gonna call another one here. Another two weeks of the Monday Night War. That's one week of Nitro and two weeks of Raw because. As we kick things off here, Steve, we're in March of 2021. Well, we're also in March of 1996. Just seems to be the way it works out right now. And as we start March of 96 off, it's March 4th. And there's no WCW Nitro for the first time since it started way back on September 4th. So they've run six full months, and now they're they're interrupted by a Civil War miniseries, which also interrupted the main event the
1: night before. Yeah. Uh, it's not just Vince that's uh, susceptible to these things. I didn't. I didn't remember this. I didn't. I thought Nitro was always on. I never realized they got interrupted for anything. So uh, this was news to me.
0: So yeah, I was a little bit shocked myself when I realized there was no Nitro. I'm used to Raw missing, f- gone to the dogs, or the the U.S. Open. But yeah, it just yeah. threw me off here. No Nitro. Let's see if WWE are like
1: yearly. You know, they're, they're yearly, yeah. so you remember right. them things. Like you just sure. know it's coming. And then they didn't even miss anything for the Atlantic games and everything. All they, every, all their people were Atlanta guys, so um, it's kind of weird they get bumped for a Civil War special, especially when nitro has been really killing it. They've been on a hot streak as far as ratings. Both both places have as far as total viewers, so definitely odd timing. I'm sure Bischoff wasn't happy.
0: Well, I'm sure Bischoff wasn't happy, but we'll see. We'll check out. We'll see what what they do in the ratings and see if, if Ted Turner was happy. When we get to the end of this week and let's talk a little WWF news before we see if Vince can capitalize on his raw with no nitro going up against them. We learned that Scott Hall, Razor Ramon has given notice to the WWF to jump to WCW back on February 20th. Meanwhile, while this episode of raw is March 4th, I figured I'd mention this now. Kevin Nash gives notice to Vince on March 5th at 10:35 AM the following day after this raw. So both Hall and Nash are WCW bound, and when we find out that Razor Ramon has just happened to be suspended on the very day he was, he gave notice to Vince McMahon. They claimed that it was it was a mere coincidence that he failed a marijuana drug test, something that nobody else had ever done in the company. Vince's response was, "There's nothing I can do about that coincidence," and that's all you get out of Vince McMahon. <laughs> Here, what is your take? I think sour grapes on Vince's part in. And obviously, it's just backlash for poor Razor Ramon. Meanwhile, Kevin Nash, because I probably because he's working Taker at Mania, gets to remain on.
1: I have no issues with this at all. I mean, you're leaving Vince high and dry in the, right in the middle of this war, and business is business. You can play one way, he'll play another way. So I, I don't well, that's I, that's I don't mind
0: that's been obvious for, for decades. Vince is going to do what Vince is going to do. And hey, man, there's nothing Vince can do about a coincidence.
1: No, absolutely not. He has a bunch of coincidences that somehow <laughs> all, benefit him every single time.
0: All the time. <laughs> it's reported it's that, that works. Yeah, it's reported that there are no celebrities at WrestleMania 12 this year. The superstars are being built as the celebrities. That's a nice way to say a cost-cutting measure, I would imagine. They don't need them. No, I think other than something like a Mike Tyson, these celebrities never add anything. Other than and a lot more money to the bill, I can't imagine what some of these people get paid versus some of the guys on the actual show.
1: Right, I've been watching for some reason Superstars '94, and they're they're hyping up Cy Sperling, and I'm like, why are you wasting your money on this dude?
0: <laughs> right. Oh <laughs> like, yeah.
1: Just shit by Hair Club for men.
0: Yeah. So
1: um, <laughs> that was save, an odd one. Save money. Save, yeah. Um, it's whatever, Vince. I, I think once you get. Like all the manias were kind of built around celebrities somewhat, and so once you start that tradition, you almost probably got to do it just because it is something that is affiliated with WrestleMania. But I think by ten, eleven, it was the wrestlers that were the main attraction, obviously. So I, I don't care. I don't. None of them did anything for me, really.
0: Now, very, 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 very few celebrities really meant ever, ever meant anything. Uh, I would say, at a WrestleMania, but Vince just loved to tout that and use it to sell the brand, obviously, on, on the news and things like that whenever it got reported, but no celebrities this year. And on the USWA television program the Saturday prior to this Raw on March 2nd, Sid Vicious popped up doing color commentary. He claimed he is retiring from the WWF due to neck and back injuries, a.k.a. it's softball season. <laughs>
1: Go have fun, Sid.
0: And Sid will return. (laughs) All is forgiven. And we'll we'll get into that much later on into the summer here in the WWF. But did you know that Sunny is here in the WWF now? And she's no longer just a manager. She's basically their their sex goddess on TV in these days. And sex sells, Steve, because WWF is now introducing a new T-shirt. Of Sunny with her her top unbuttoned as she leans over. I think it was a full pool table or she leans over something with her cleavage there, her cleavage hanging out. And um, there's a saying, there's a, a slogan on that shirt that says "I like it raw." And I remember this shirt vividly because the minute we walked into SummerSlam '96, my cousin went and purchased this shirt, and I got to stare at her on his shirt for the remainder of the night. It was it was lovely.
1: <laughs> I'm sure she does like it raw too. Well, I don't I know think what she world likes right now. After her, after her uh, video came out. Oh my! That so. video.
0: Oh dear God! Hope to
1: never see <laughs> that again. <laughs> OSW reviewed it.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, oh, shit. yeah. I've heard. I've heard a lot of people review. I've heard Bruce Prichard review it. I've heard. Uh, well, I've heard a few people review oh. it. It's
1: yeah. It's wow. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's gotten around hmm Probably nothing they haven't seen before.
0: Well, nothing's got around more than Sonny herself, I'm so sure.
1: Nah. Oh. Yeah.
0: We've been talking about ratings here, especially on the last episode, where the ratings just seem to keep rising and rising here, not just for the WWF, but also WCW. Well, the WWF continued both its business, not just on TV, but at the house shows. Everything's picking up. There's a hot streak, so to speak, in the professional wrestling business here at the beginning of 1996 and it's also dealing with some more hard luck when it comes to injuries and other out of the ring problems over the past couple weekends here in the wwf here's the good news after doing gates of 7300 in pittsburgh and 7600 in cleveland ohio on february 25th on a double shot pittsburgh received its highest dollar amount for a house show other than SummerSlam in four years while cleveland was the best house show in the market in six years which would go back to the richfield coliseum and the wrestlemania six era so big upswing here uh, on the house shows as they also they returned to touring on march 1st and did over four thousand in augusta maine that's their all-time record worcester massachusetts did 5800 and springfield massachusetts their best in four years finishing off with 6400 and Everybody hitting new records for the first time. And look at that, that era, four or five years. You're going back ninety, ninety one, ninety two. 90, 91, 92. That's as the decline started. And then by 93, obviously everything fell apart as far as the house shows went.
1: Yeah. I think that's when they just started touring like the Northeast really. And got rid of like the B and C shows and just put everybody together. So um, yeah, it's quite impressive. I, I really don't know what is causing <laughs> the, the bump i'm just wondering if i think we mentioned at the end of last week's show like if maybe if nitro started we did another day and they, if they would still be around just because of the, how big these audiences were sh- kind of share the pot or give each other their own days so where you can attract the whole wrestling audience instead of just half and sharing it um but i think just like you mentioned the war itself and just having two shows on at the same time something about that aura the mystique or what's going to happen on each show and you flipping back and forth or in your case you're recording and watching later it's just some excitement and something like okay what are they going to do next and that sort of stuff that you just didn't have in wrestling for a long time yeah i have to give um, a lot of the
0: credit uh, to the actual war i mean as you said like what's really happening on these i mean we're we're lambasting the wcw on the weekly here with this awful hulk hogan shit so that's certainly not what's drawn in the viewers i would think and raws just kind of
1: jobbers and recap videos and slam jam and a bunch of stupid shit that it's just it's not bad it's just this typical raw nothing
0: yeah there's nothing to draw in a new new crowd
1: you're you're pulling in like three and a half rating and things like what is doing that and it's sure as hell not what you're seeing on tv so kudos to them for whatever they did i don't know what they did I, i just think Probably a perfect storm of something. I know the weather was real bad in 96. So like people were just stuck at home and flipping through the channels and they're like, Oh, wrestling's on this channel and this channel. What the hell's going on here? I haven't watched this in years and something caught their attention.
0: So even though Who knows what that is right. So even though they, they did great business here on this house show run for the last couple of weeks, the shows were once again, marred by injury. Of course, Jeff Jarrett injured by Ahmed Johnson diesel also with a supposed injury. The suspension of Scott Hall and family problems for Yokozuna, who had to leave and go home to take care of some family business, which again caused the advertised main events to not go on as scheduled. Also, over the course of those couple weeks, Owen Hart, Marty Jannetty, and even The Undertaker missed a date or two. So there was a lot of uh, guys missing in action on some of these house shows. In fact, I attended one of these shows, and I can verify Hall and Nash were both Uh, No goes. And they were uh, part of, you know, a double main event, both of these guys. So the very first thing they did before the show was announced that neither guy would be there. And they offered a refund. As long as you went and got your refund by, it was either before or after the third match on the card, they would give you your refund. And that was something they had never done before. At least they'd never announced it. Apparently it was always there. The option was always there. They just never told you that the option was there. And at this point, they started announcing this. And I had this happen to me two or three times moving forward. I would go to a show, and two or three big names would miss. Now, this time, it was Razor suspended, Diesel's injured. That's why. Uh, Another time, there was a blizzard. And I think, like, Jericho and a couple other fairly big names up on the show weren't going to be there. And they, again, offered refunds. So uh, this was the first time I ever heard that. And I had attended quite a few... WWF shows over the last seven years, at least quite often. I mean,
1: yeah, did, uh, if you got a refund, did you have to like leave or could you, oh, you yeah. stay for the rest of the show? No,
0: that's, that's what you get the refund for. As long as you're leaving by the third match, which later on, it was, it got even better. Like during the attitude era, when they offered this, it was, it was intermission. As long as you went and got refund by intermission during intermission and left, obviously you can get your money back. So, um, hmm. Yeah, but here it was, uh, if, you, if you left by the third match and got your money back, so you get like, you could see a couple curtain jerkers and then uh, on your way out the door if, if you want the, the cash back. I stuck around for the entire show. Uh, it was a fairly solid show, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, usually when like that happens, usually they make up for it somehow. Uh, obviously people pay to see the names and if you're not seeing them, fine, but I don't think they're going to half-ass it and give you something garbage. I know, I know maybe they had to. If, if it just wasn't available to them to do anything better than what they gave you. But at the same time, I don't, I don't feel like they would shortchange you. I will I say, not.
0: I will say in this particular instance with Hall and Nash, both missing the show that I attended, I couldn't tell you who replaced diesel or what he was doing on that show. But I do remember razor was scheduled to wrestle the one, two, three kid in one of those Crybaby matches. And his replacement was Roddy Piper. So, I mean, no complaints there. It was, it was a fun match.
1: Oh, I bet. I think you talked about that last time, but that would be hilarious. Yeah. That's that's like a type of match that's suited for Roddy Piper. Oh, Just absolutely. to make somebody belittled like that. Yeah, yeah, and and right silly, silly
0: bumps by the kid in that one. It was. It's one of the few matches that stick in my head still to this day that I watched at a house show. There's tons of matches that when I go back and look at results from shows I've attended, I go, I saw that match. I don't remember that, but I uh, I, I remember that one vividly. It was a fun match. But we'll get going here. It's WWF Monday Night Raw for March 4th, taped back on February 19th in the Cincinnati Garden, Cincinnati, Ohio. We kick things off with another click match. Seems like we get one of these every week now. As Shawn Michaels takes on the 1-2-3 kid, managed by the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase. It's right into action as the show kicks off with Shawn Michaels making his way to ringside. No intro. The 1-2-3 kid here. So he gets the old jobber entrance. He's already in the ring. It's the uh the Chiron 1-2-3 kid. As the match gets going, the kid with fancy footwork, but Shawn Michaels comes back showing how strong he is, presses that 100 and some pound kid into the air and a clothesline. Sends the kid to the floor. Shawn Michaels skins the cat back inside. At this point, Vince McMahon talks with Bret Hart, who's watching backstage. Brett claims he won't fall for the tricks that the kid's falling for. Brett and Sean's match at WrestleMania comes down to who can sustain the most punishment. Back in the ring, the kid does a dive out on the floor onto Shawn Michaels, and then DiBiase lays in the boots. When Vince asks Brett if he's enjoying watching this, Brett says he is not enjoying this. He wants Shawn healthy for WrestleMania. The 1-2-3 kid gets some heat, but Shawn Michaels comes back with a flying clothesline and the big kip-up, leading to Michaels with the moonsault body block, a nasty-looking flying forearm, and the top rope elbow. Sean then chases the kid around ringside, and the kid lures him back inside to take back over, but misses a top rope leg drop, and one super kick later, Sean Michaels picks up the win, 12 minutes as he dances with yet another female child.
1: I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know about the dancing either, <laughs> um, but this was a pretty solid match. Obviously, these guys are going to work, work well for each other. Uh, they're buddies. Um, they're going to get the best out of each other, and... It was a really solid match. You saw some stuff that you didn't necessarily see all the time. You know, the moonsaults, the plunges, things like that. Stuff you only got from guys like 123 Kid and Shawn Michaels and stuff like that. So, uh, pretty solid match to open the show here.
0: Yeah. And uh, that's the story they tell tonight because we have Shawn here against the kid and then Brett later will take on Triple H. So, both guys who are main eventing WrestleMania are playing Who Can Top This? I suppose this week is one way to look at it. Just showcasing both guys this week. Yep. And we will move on as 24 Karat Pictures presents A Shattered Dreams Productions, a film made by Marlena Steve. It's Gold Dust in Piper's Pit.
2: I am big. It's the pictures that got small. Sunset Boulevard, 1950. Oh, but you were always big, Mr. President Piper, weren't you? At one time, you were literally huge. As a matter of fact, some of my earliest teenage fantasies derived right from this very pit. Watching you from the hills, I hung on your every word as each syllable spilled from your luscious lips. I sunk deeper and deeper into my own sea of ecstasy. When you exploded that coconut over the head of one superfly, oh, I myself erupted with pleasure, like a rock-hard mountain of rust. Mm-hmm. And that skirt, oh yes, we mustn't forget that skirt. I spent many hours of quality time alone just contemplating crepes of wrath. But President Piper, things are different now, aren't they? You have moved into a new set. And that set is one Hollywood. But you forget. That's my set. Though I've seen you in some of those films. I even got quite the rise out of They Live. Yes, you have done quite well for yourself, Mr. President Piper. As a matter of fact, you may even one day Go down as an all-time Hollywood great. Hmm. Maybe a great, but not the greatest. That title only belongs to one Gold dust. So sit back, President Piper, and like the gentleman that you are, accept what is, simply as what is. That being your role as a World Wrestling Federation president and merely my lowly extra when it comes to Tinseltown. Oh, by the way, maybe, just maybe, if you're a good little boy, I'll even treat you to a little something extra. Mm.
3: Extreme (sighs) self please.
2: Oh yeah. You remember the name, and you will never forget
3: Gold Dust. I don't care who he's directed by. That's one of the worst films, one of the worst pieces of acting I think we've ever seen here in the World Wrestling Federation. You've got to be kidding me, McMahon. Have you ever seen any Roddy Piper films? Yeah, I've seen a lot of them, and I I like them. uh, I'll tell you what,
0: we're going to... Well, where do you want to start here, Steve? (laughs) Where do you start? Good God. (laughs) For those who haven't watched this, it's actually uh, Goldust staged in what looked like the, uh, the later in Roddy Piper's pit. That he used there in the tail end of his uh, first run, late '86, early '87, or whatever. And there's a picture of Piper on the wall in the middle of the promo. He begins rubbing his hands up and down the body of Roddy Piper in this picture. Uh, Goldust also sporting a kilt here or a skirt, as as he referenced it. And uh, you have any uh, thoughts in general?
1: Man, it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's something. I, it's so hard to even. Explain what what Goldust is or what he's doing. I'm I'm sure your grandpa, if he walked in and seen this, only oh my his god! Reaction. I they wish I could turn back time. The, time. the fact
0: that you just said that, I wish I could turn back time. If I had a DeLorean, I don't know what I would go and change in my world, but I would I would make it happen to my grandfather walk in the room thirty seconds before this fucking vignette aired, because I, I don't even know. That might have been the end of my <laughs> life watching wrestling in that in that household, uh, probably.
1: <laughs> I was old enough to where yeah. he can, can
0: really control me or what I watched, but he probably would have controlled what, if I had a cable box at that time of night to, to turn this nonsense on. Uh, but I got to hand it to him in one way. This is brand new. Everything Goldust does is brand new. He's not copying from yes. anybody. He's not stealing this from anybody the cadence the delivery the the whisper into the 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 really strong endings to the sentences it's uh the aggression and the words um everything about it the mannerisms the movements it's amazing
1: oh my god it is i mean I, the stories from i heard he wanted to get out of the shadow of his dad and the only way he's going to do that is to come become something completely different than anything his dad ever did. And when you got somebody driven, he's good in the ring. We all know Dustin Rhodes can work. Right. He was damn good. And that wasn't going to get him anywhere. Everybody's going, like, oh, it's Dustin Rhodes. That's Dusty's boy. That's how it's going to be. So he had to morph into something like this, if that's what his sole goal was, was to get out of his dad's shadow. And so for him to take this and do what he did here, and these these early this early run gold dust is so far... Ahead of his time that I don't even think people comprehended what we were watching back then right like I, you you get it you understand it to a degree But I don't think you can fully understand what exactly we was watching at the time uh, you had to have been a diehard wrestling fan I feel like that Was older that kind of got where he was coming from so to speak where like I said he's trying to out, get out of his dad's shadow And once you knew who he was That probably changed your perspective. I didn't really watch any of Dustin Rhodes, so like Gold Dust was the first I've ever seen him work, and I was put off by him. I ain't gonna lie, I I was like eight or nine years old, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? Or ten years old at the time, and I'm like, what the heck is this? And he's rubbing all over himself, and he's rubbing all over his opponents. I'm like, man, just wrestle like that sort of deal. So I didn't get it. I didn't understand the gimmick. I didn't understand any part of it. But it's just next level. It's so far ahead of its time, man. And I hate to. We say that a lot about a lot of things, but this is truly one of those things that will never be replicated.
0: It's ever. probably not. It's never going to be replicated because it's not permitted in today's society.
1: The, the cancel <laughs> yeah, culture
0: would put the end of this in in, a, in one week's time.
1: Yeah, uh, but I, even if it wasn't, even if that wasn't a thing, it, everything would it would just be a ripoff. That's how good he. Did oh, it. sure. Like, nobody Absolutely. could do that. Nobody could do this again, permitted or not to where anybody would take it and believe it because that's how good he did. It's one of those things like you just can't nobody's going to be gold dust ever again.
0: Yeah, and some and of the lines here a, I just okay. don't know there were some crazy lines last time on on the Monday Warfare show that I actually it it forced me to go I I don't really pull audio sound bites for the Monday Warfare show but I had to go back and do that after we did editing because you mentioned on the show, oh, man, I wish you grabbed that and so I, I had to go back and get it because I mean I couldn't justify it on the show just trying to replicate it by, by mentioning some, you know, quick notes. And that was crazy that he got away with that, but here this week he's talking about eruptions or explosions and, and of lust when, when the coconut cracked over over, you know, Snook's head and he sticks his lips on the bagpipes, wants to give Piper something and blows it if you will and <laughs> i was just uh wow and and then it continues on here in the next week when the two get in the ring with each other which we'll talk about before oh, we yeah. end this episode of Money warfare um so I yeah gold dust is, is, is it's been he's yeah. really it's like when things got really intense going into the rumble with razor and gold dust it really peaked and then it felt like for about a month it kind of slowly it just got. It wasn't as hot as it was.
1: I don't know if that was Razor's they toned fault. It down. Yeah. yeah, I, I don't think know they what toned it, w- it. Down to the backlash. Well, they fucking us about that, they Vince doesn't give backlash. a shit
0: here anymore about backlash.
1: No, uh. he doesn't. He's at a war now, so he doesn't give a shit about anything. I think two things I want to say about this. The best part about it is that he still sticks to the gimmick by giving movie quotes. That yeah, like I'm stuck in my thoughts or whatever. Like he quoted the grapes of wrath. Like that's. He's not, the guy's not referring to sex or whatever it is that <laughs> Goldust is referring to. But right. He right. implements those lines to get over his character. And second, one thing, it's one thing to hear him talk about it over the phone and it's just noise. It's just him talking. Right. It's a whole another thing watching the video like him in this Piper's Pit playing with the bagpipes and rubbing all over himself and all over Piper and right. just his mannerisms. It's just. It takes it to a whole other level. Uh, like I said, you can hear him talk about it all day, but then you see him in action doing it, and it's like, holy shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this, dude's, this dude's all in. He's all in. Yeah,
0: and that's so funny. They talk about a lot of guys failing because they weren't all in on their gimmicks. Uh, some of them you could argue, you know, I don't know how, how much more, you know, Terry Taylor could go all in on a Red Rooster gimmick to get over, but you, you, we have seen guys who, like the Dynamic Dudes, they weren't all in, and uh, look what happened there. Um, but. Goldust is absolutely all in, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. And, He's uh, loving it. We've already seen some teasers that the ultimate warrior might be on his way back to the WWF. Fans pleading with President Piper to bring the warrior back. Let's hear what's going on here in the world of the Ultimate Warrior and the WWF.
3: Never before in the history of the World Wrestling Federation has one single force generated the intensity and raw energy of the Ultimate Warrior. No one could instantly electrify a crowd like the Warrior. Empowered by the Warrior inside the heart of all of his fans, the Warrior's rise to the top of the World Wrestling Federation was unquestionably meteoric. WrestleMania 6 became his launching pad, lasting off in front of 67,000 fans, defeating the self-professed, immortal Hulk Hogan. The very next year, the Ultimate Warrior continued to soar through WrestleMania 7 with a victory over the Macho Man Randy Savage. And then, mystique turned to mystery. The Ultimate Warrior vanished. Yet in his absence, the legend of the Ultimate Warrior continued to grow. But now, after a great deal of speculation, it is official. Yes, with WrestleMania, once again the setting, brace yourself for the return of the most intense, reckless, skyrocket of them all, the Ultimate Warrior.
0: Reckless, indeed. He's back. The Warrior returns at WrestleMania, and you love those jabs they took. As he beat the self-professed immortal Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man at WrestleMania six and seven, there.
1: you realize no snide remarks towards Macho Man. It was just straight at Hogan. Um, right. <laughs> it's Vince, I, that's one thing. Like Vince never trashed Macho. I, I know he did the the Nacho Man here, but I think that you had to do that just to get over what they was trying to do. But but other than that, like he never. Went out of his way to badmouth Macho Man. I don't even think he talked about Macho Man, so uh, that's very interesting. You know,
0: after the rumors came out many years after this, uh, I don't know that he trashed the Macho Man, but he certainly completely blackballed the Macho Man for quite a long period of time there.
1: Well, yeah, I I get that, but I mean, everybody—he kind of bagged on Hogan all the time. Yeah, I think Hogan was—you know—they've always described that
0: the the Hogan relationship as a love-hate relationship. I think Randy was more like. I don't want to say a a son, but like a brother, maybe like, you know, just very, very close family, obviously. And that, and you know, that really, really, really hurt. He thought he was more loyal than he was. Yeah. When Savage jumped, that hurt Vince. So it's a different, they never
1: announced that. You know how he announced it? Like, I didn't, I don't think he ever did that to anyone else. No, he
0: never, no. And he put it over, put Savage over, wished him well and things. It was, it was, uh, very different for sure. Yeah.
1: But so, I know about The Warrior, though, man, I, I don't think there's any music that gives me goosebumps more. And then I don't think Vince, anyone but Vince can sell The Ultimate Warrior like he did.
0: Oh, it took me back like, to 1990. So it, I was 10 and 11 years old again here, just when he said, oh, Ultimate Warrior. And I hear, hear that music. It felt like, you know, I was six years younger than this here in 1996. I was pumped because, like I said on you know earlier episodes... He was still 1990 Ultimate Warrior to me. I, I didn't realize what we were getting until we got what we were getting here when he finally shows up, and, he, and they even masqueraded pretty well at, at the actual WrestleMania. It was what happened after that that just didn't feel like the same warrior anymore really to me.
1: Yeah, and he kind of changed towards the end of 92 anyway Right uh, when he came back that run. He was kind of, I don't know, whenever he cut his hair, he just seemed different. Uh, which yeah, is weird, I think he was less but,
0: uh, less warriory. He was more of a real human. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. So, so we get we I hit this wait. height,
0: dude. I'm guaranteeing you. When I saw this live, I, ju- I was fucking going insane because I was a warrior mark. And it's not cool to be a warrior mark in today's day and age, Steve. You're not supposed to um, you're not supposed to say that out loud because you've been reading the sheets for twenty and thirty years, and you've been taught that you're not allowed to like guys unless they have a certain work rate. And I was a kid, uh, and he appealed to kids. Clearly, he did something to sell merchandise because he wouldn't have been on top if he wasn't, you know, over. So, anybody who pretends like they didn't like the Warrior, now nah, I'm sure there were detractors. I, I didn't, I never liked Hulk Hogan, so I'm sure yeah, there are plenty of people that I, weren't fans of Warrior. But you can't tell me that nobody liked the Ultimate Warrior.
1: I I see posts on on social media uh, things, and it's like I don't see the appeal of this guy. I don't get it i don't understand he sucked in the ring he had terrible promos and it's just the same rehash shit that people been selling for the last 30 years and um it's so far from the truth unless you lived it and i can't say i lived it i I can say that me being a wrestling fan is because of him and macho man at wrestlemania 7 so i got the appeal like there was something about the guy he was a superhero come to life he was nuts the hair the face paint the armbands, just the the entire—he's the total package when it came to a character, and he believed in the character. He lived the character. His promos are not bad. He says some off the wall shit, but it makes sense. Hulk Hogan said a bunch of off the wall shit, like telling everybody to jump on his back and he can backstroke him up to <laughs> miss whatever the hell it is, like just to save him from Trump Tower cr- crumbling, which just happened a few like a week ago. Uh, This past weekend, they actually. Anyway, like Hogan said ridiculous things. They're not supposed to make sense, guys. It's not about that. Sell the match. You're not Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels trying to tell a story. You're Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior telling a story. And there's a huge difference. Two of them are superheroes. The other two are wrestlers. That's the difference. Understand it. And then do some history that's really all it takes do some research
0: right so we get brought up so high the warriors coming back at wrestlemania 12 and then doc Hendricks there with his shit band and i honestly didn't remember it lasting this long it's not really prominently featured but it's still there and it's like why as we go back to the ring justin hawk bradshaw makes his raw debut managed by dirty dutch mantel known here as zebakaya taking on hakushi Talk about a contrast of style here. Uh, the Justin Bradshaw character versus Hakushi. Even Vince refers to Bradshaw as a throwback to Stan Hansen. As we get Roddy Piper on the phone, and we saw this a week or two ago with Ahmed Johnson in a, in, in the ring. I can't remember who called in, but we got a, a pro. It was Goldust. It was the Goldust phone call, right? And then Ahmed Johnson yeah. was in the ring. So it's another two birds, one stone here. And it, probably for good reason, too. Not, not a very good match. Uh, So Piper says he has news. He will announce the Warriors' opponent next week. And you won't believe who it is. I wrote, hmm. That made me wonder, was this supposed to be somebody other than who it actually winds up being? Well, Roddy also talks about Goldust in the video that just aired. He compares Goldust to Roddy Piper. Says it's all mind games. He doesn't buy any of this. And we go back to the ring. It's Bradshaw mauling Hakushi, but misses a charge into the corner. Hakushi nails a handspring. Elbow. Bradshaw goes to the floor and Hakushi tries a plancha in which it was evident that Bradshaw was supposed to catch him, but Hakushi lands on Bradshaw so high that he actually has to take the bump, but then JBL pops up and doesn't even sell the plancha because he wasn't supposed to take the bump, so he picks Hakushi up, smashes him into the apron, and a power slam on the floor before throwing poor Hakushi back in the ring for a big boot and a lariat pinning Hakushi. In four minutes and ten seconds. And if that wasn't enough, he hog ties Hakushi and they brand him in one little area where he, <laughs> he doesn't have tattoos anyway. I just wrote, fuck this. I'm out, man. I I, I feel so bad for Shinzaki at this point.
1: Yeah, I do, too. I, I wish it was somebody different. I thought Bradshaw looked good. Uh, I love the clothesline. It's so nasty. Uh, I've always been a fan of the clothesline. Yeah, I I had the exact same thing. My same thought process was, why does this have to be Hakushi? Why couldn't it be somebody else?
0: Yeah, all Um, the guys on the the roster, Bob Holly and and guys like that, Aldo Montoya, Barry Horowitz, and they choose Hakushi. Obviously, he's on his way out, and they're going to have him do jobs on the way out. So technically, had Bradshaw caught that plancha like he was supposed to, Hakushi would have gotten in exactly one offensive move in the match. Just absolutely disgusting. We move, much, on, yeah. we move on to a Mankind vignette, number five in a line of Mankind vignettes. This time he talks in the pitch dark. When he was younger, he could hear through the walls. Mommy tried to make excuses for him, but he, whoever he is, he said Mankind had to go away. He was becoming a man and had to own up to his behavior. You should have seen the look on this man's face when Mankind confronted him. Mankind is about to pay back all of the perpetrators. No one will have a nice day. Damn good. Yeah, I just, I hadn't realized, I knew there were several vignettes. I just didn't realize if these keep going on up until WrestleMania, that's a lot of fucking vignettes. I just hadn't realized it was that many. And before we go into the main event, $80 WrestleMania 12 replica chairs. $80 for a replica chair.
1: I I wish I had like 15 of them. Well,
0: I know you're a collector, Steve, man, but sometimes we just have to look at these ridiculous prices for these these things at the, at the time, and not so much what they're valued here in, in 25 years well, later.
1: Well, I mean, 80 bucks is relatively cheap, considering what a front-row ticket to WrestleMania would have cost you. This so, is not um, a
0: WrestleMania chair. This is a replica chair, though. I, it's like it's a replica It's pretty much belt. the exact, It's
1: like the same. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's the exact same exact fucking
0: thing, but it, I'm just saying. I don't saying. know how you
1: can get a... Uh... A fake chair or what is it faux leather or is it different material yeah it's probably spongy the shit. Same one it's just it's just not at the show no i mean just, I, I mean I don't honestly man me
0: tickets to wrestlemania back then really weren't that insane i mean they were pretty affordable compared to what they are now oh
1: no go go look at the uh, wrestlemania 7 ticket prices yeah you can get like a round trip ticket on an airplane and everything for like a thousand bucks and that's like four front row seats and this is everything flight hotel everything like right that's insane you can get like a front row seat for a hundred dollars those were the days yeah
0: yeah people talk about inflation this is not inflation when you do inflation prices from that long ago it's only about double now so it's like two thousand dollars maybe a few bucks more than that but i mean it's no i mean it's this has nothing to do with inflation It has to do with vince inflating prices not necessarily the inflation of the dollar bill. However, as we move into it's the all, main,
1: what's that? I was just gonna say it's all where it's at. I mean, the same tickets to Raymond James Stadium last year, or whenever the last time they were in Florida, were like four hundred dollars cheaper at in Florida than they were for the New York show. Because me, we was looking, we, me and my friends were thinking about going to the New York show, but it was like seven hundred bucks for top rogue bleeders. um yeah,
0: I'll pass, man. I'll pass i, I screwed myself like i had i had ample opportunity to go to several wrestlemanias i had a ticket in my hand to wrestlemania 17 and they wound up getting sold to somebody else and i didn't go and uh you know kick my own ass for that one but uh we'll f- close out uh, this episode of raw at least the, the wrestling wise we'll close out this episode of raw the main event match wwf champion Bret hart taking on triple h coming to the ring this time by emerald hart no relation to brett It's back and forth action and Brett winds up on top of Hunter as HBK comes to ringside, pulls up a chair to watch Brett up close and personal. Brett was supposed to take a bump to the floor to land by HBK, but Tim White was in the way so Brett couldn't roll. He kind of got stuck on the apron, so he rolls back inside and has Triple H throw him back out again. Shows you the uh, veteran... Behavior here of the hitman wanted to make it realistic, like he likes to do with everything. It's like, I'm not going to just roll out now. It's too obvious. So I'm going to roll back in and have Hunter throw me back out. Lousy hyena. As Brett goes to the floor, he begins to argue with Shawn Michaels. What are you doing out here? But Shawn actually warns Brett Hart to look out behind him. Triple H coming. Off the apron, Brett catches him with a punch to the midsection. Triple H does manage to take over in the ring as we go through not one but two commercial breaks during this match. And Hunter off the middle rope into a foot to the face by Bret Hart. And Bret comes back with the five moves of doom. But Triple H takes back over once again. Again off the middle rope. This time looks like shooting for a drop kick maybe. And he gets caught by Bret straight into the sharpshooter. Exactly like the spot we saw with Shawn Michaels and Bret at the finish of the Survivor Series 92 match. Go figure. And we get a submission win here as Bret Hart over Triple H with the sharpshooter in about 12 and a half minutes, and Sean celebrates in the aisle. He claps for the hitman.
1: Yeah, they're not, they don't hate each other yet. The match has not happen.
0: Boy, if they don't hate <laughs> each other yet, Bret's comments next week on TV would make me hate him. I'll tell you that much. Well, We'll get there in a little bit. And we'll close out this episode of Raw... I picked this up. I grabbed the screen cap from the show. The following satire is intended to entertain and inform the quotes contained herein are actual quotes by the man who could control 50% of America's cable systems, Ted Turner. It's TV trivia, a faux game show with billionaire Ted as one of the contestants. Let's let's listen.
4: Welcome to TV Trivia. Today's contestants are Billionaire Ted, the man who's trying to put the World Wrestling Federation out of business, and Candy. And the category is Pompous Quotes. Here we go. Question number one. Which sports personality, suspended from Major League Baseball for tampering, said, the world has gotten along without Abraham Lincoln, John F. Kennedy, and Jesus Christ, baseball can get along without me? Have uh, Pete Rose. Ooh, nice try, Billionaire Ted. Uh, Yes, the correct answer is Billionaire Ted. Next question. Who made the racial comment? As for blacks, well, most of them are not really black anyway. They're brown. Well, aren't they? (laughs) It's very seldom you see a really black black. Oh, Michael Jackson. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's funny, Billionaire Ted. Right again. Next question. What often-married person said, Henry VIII didn't get divorced, he just had his wives' heads chopped off when he got tired of them? That's a good way to get rid of a woman. No alimony. Yeah, well, that, was my, uh, that was my buddy O.J., yeah. Shame on you, Billionaire Ted. Yes, the correct answer is Billionaire Ted. By the way, Nacho Man, where's the huckster tonight?
3: Somebody somebody help me, me, brother.
4: I helped the lady lady handcuff handcuff
3: me, me, and I can't can't get get out.
1: out. He's
3: a little tied up right now, yeah!
4: Okay, back to the questions. Which carpetbagger said, if you want to fish, go out and make a million and buy your own stream? Uh, George Steinbrenner. Oh, damn. Oh. Are you staring, (laughs) Billionaire Ted? Yeah. Candy, you are absolutely perfect so far.
0: Well,
4: thank you. Yeah, I'll say she is. (laughs) Oh,
2: yeah.
4: And here's our final question. Who said, I'm worth a couple of billion dollars and I feel poor? I really do. Rupert Murdoch. (laughs) John Malone. Michael Um. Billionaire Ted? What? No. All right, that's enough. I mean, I own this network. I own this game show. Right now, I'm pulling the plug. I think I'm powerful now. Wait till I get my hands on Time Warner.
0: Okay, and that ends that segment. And a couple of visuals here you guys didn't see. They actually show the huckster handcuffed uh, to the turnbuckles, a spoof from the February 26th, Nitro, when Elizabeth couldn't get him cuffed and Hogan had to help her a little bit there. And that's why he said, I helped the lady handcuff me and I can't get out. And then uh, you might have (laughs) heard Macho Man say, or the Nacho Man say, ooh, yeah, and then that boink noise. He's actually staring at some other lady's cleavage and they knock him out with a high heel shoe there. So some, some comedy bits on Hogan and Macho Man in between. And all of those quotes were direct quotes from Ted Turner. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it's just crazy, uh, some of the stuff that people could get away with and say, like, right now, like, if he did that right now, he'd be, like, he'd be kicked out of whatever he has left, which I don't think he has anything left, to be honest with you. Um,
0: Then he has dementia or whatever, whatever he was diagnosed with, too, some type of Alzheimer's or dementia or or whatnot. Um,
1: It's unfortunate. But, um, yeah, this is some insane quotes there, like, wow.
0: So the whole point of this is like we- Vince has been shitting his pants that Turner's merging with Time Warner. He's he's fearing that Turner's going to take over everything, obviously half the cable systems and he's going to become a trillionaire basically and he's going to merge with Warner and Vince is scared to death and it's ironic because it's not Turner that really takes over Time Warner, it's Time Warner that takes over Turner and essentially, eventually boots him out and kind of kiboshes WCW's really, at the end of the day, aids Vince McMahon.
1: Yeah, it's funny how that works out, huh? <laughs> I don't know, man. Those quotes, wow. Uh, yeah, I mean,
0: <laughs> that's quite a few. And I liked some of the answers. They were pretty clever, whoever they came up with the answers. Because a lot of the answers, were, ah, Michael Jackson, O.J. Simpson, they kind of made sense to some of the, the quotes that, that they were yeah. spouting on. So. Pete but, Rose, uh, yeah. yeah. Segment of the night, Steve, was it Brett and Triple H, Sean and the Kid, the Shattered Dreams Productions, or candy there the other contestant that
1: uh, beat billionaire ted um i liked i put down the sean and kid match but i mean to be honest with you i just like what they did with both guys some tune-up matches with some name opponents two guys that would work well with them you know kids more the speed of sean and hunters filling things out and still learning and getting in the ring with brett they had similar style so it wasn't going to be a bad match so i think uh i just thought it was a really good. Really good job overall from all four guys. Basically, the main event at WrestleMania 12 was a well-established year, and I thought they did a good job. And I will give credit to Jerry Lawler. Throughout the match, he was teasing the Sean turn. Like Sean was going to do something to Brett, kind of like what we've seen on the grenade with Eddie Gilbert and Tommy Rich. Right. Just those little teases, and you're just waiting for it. You're watching. Is he going to do something? And that always intrigues me. It always adds to it. And so I thought that was a really solid uh job there by lawler um i thought it was a good show Uh, they did a really good job with this show
0: yeah i thought so too it was very (laughs) basic though like you point out nothing fancy on the show but they got both main eventers out there and solid matches with two mid-card guys that can perform i enjoyed the sean and kid match better just more of my pace more interesting and and Overall, but nothing wrong with either match, and even the the Gold Dust promo, the whole vignette there, that was intriguing to say the least. And I actually enjoyed this billionaire Ted sketch uh, as well, so another good one here. And uh yeah, yeah I so agree. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Sean and the kid as well. Not that Brett and Triple H was all that bad. I just, like I said, I, I preferred the pace of the Sean and Kid match just
1: a little bit better. I think that's why they had Sean down there to help with the match itself.
0: So. <laughs> well, that's good good point. Good point. <laughs> And the ratings are in. Monday Night Raw goes unopposed, and it does a 3.6 rating with a 5.2 share. So the rating's up just a little bit, but the share is pretty impressive. 5% of America who has cable is watching wrestling here, even if Nitro's not on. So they did get some of the WCW fans, not all of them, but they got some. Here's the kicker, though. With no Nitro, the Civil War miniseries for Monday night does a 6.4 rating and a 9.4 share. That's 9.4 is, I think, more than Raw Nitro combined on a weekly. So a good call there by Turner, just bumping Nitro out this week for the Civil War miniseries, which clearly had more interest. Uh, so, yeah, that's where we're at.
1: I'm not surprised. It's something probably new for the time as far as a long mini series like that about the Civil War. So I think it was like the, the, I don't even know the anniversary of the year. I couldn't tell you. History is not my thing, um, but we kind of figured it was going to do well. Like the dog show does well, so the Civil War should could do well too, right?
0: Yeah, and all you millennials out there, and whatever the next one up is, the generation Y, Z, I don't know, but all you guys living, yo- you youngsters out there, there were a lot less cable channels back then. Let me just preface that: like there were like sixty channels in all, I think, and I had like every channel other than like HBO, the pay channels, and things inside there. There wasn't like astronomical hundreds of channels like there are now that you get to choose from all this shit. Your main cable com- uh, channels were TBS. TNT USA. Those were some of the very main channels that you would flip to. So it doesn't surprise me at all that if you got cable and you're flipping around, that's you know that's that's a hell of an impressive rating. It just shows you, even though wrestling's been taken off lately, it's still nowhere near the level of real life TV, like things that other people are interested in. Here is it it almost doubles the
1: raw rating. Yeah, and it's also like there's not a history channel that you can flip to and get the civil war whenever you want. Like if, if some, if a cable company like TNT was going to do a mini series on the civil war, everybody's going to be going to TNT to watch that. You can't, it's not something that's just being rehashed elsewhere. It was only available on those channels. Like you said, we didn't have very many options. Oh, and there's Uh, never no apps, no internet.
0: Right, there was no, no apps, no uh, these things like this. Just go find these documentaries anytime you want them.
1: Yeah, it was a lot more difficult. If it wasn't on TV, you couldn't really watch it unless you went to the video store.
0: And as we move into the next week, before we get to Nitro, just some really quick WCW news. Johnny B. Bad is gone as of this episode of Nitro. The same day, Johnny B. Bad quits WCW's contract actually ended at the end of February. He's working without a contract here. And he winds up uh, not really getting fired. It uh, seemed amicable, but Bad basically told Bischoff that, hey, WWS offered me this much money. It was much more than what Bischoff was willing to give Johnny. And so Bischoff wished him well. And uh, a lot of the stuff wrote in The Observer very recently, I listened to an Eric Bischoff podcast, and he denied a lot of it. He put a a completely different spin on some of the other parts of it, so he him and a few others that do podcasts are not very big fans of Dave Meltzer. They give him credit for some of the research he does and the facts, like the numbers that he comes up with and and all these things, but it's his opinions and his bullshit and his hearsay that he, you know, spreads his truth is what really irritates them here. And Bischoff really uh, claims that a lot of this stuff wasn't true. The stuff that, the reason that Johnny B. Bad wasn't renewed in the contract or whatever. Bischoff said he offered Johnny a new contract. It simply wasn't for the price that Johnny wanted. And obviously he was getting paid a lot more by Vince to jump. So Bischoff said, okay, that's okay. And you know, that was the end of that. So bad actually winded up dropping the TV title to Lex Luger on the March 9th edition of WCW Saturday night. Now you might say, well, he quit on the 11th. Why would he have dropped it on the ninth? Cause it had to be taped before that. he actually, Dropped the belt a few weeks ago, I guess, at a TV taping because there were already issues because the contract had expired. Um, Now, why Luger? I don't know. We'll get to that in a little bit. There's so many other names I could have come up with here. Also, the Nasty Boys were originally scheduled for this episode of Nitro to take on the Road Warriors. DeMeltz notes they might be gone from the company as well with the influx of talent coming in to cover the contracts, the financial contracts of Hall, Nash, the Steiner brothers on their way in here, and, and a few others. And we kick off good W's, yeah well, yeah, well, they do pop back up there around the NWO. But th- then we don't see them ever again. And as you say, good riddance. You see
1: Nobs, not Sags. But right, yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Nob, Nobs does Bye-bye. return eventually.
0: As we move on to WCW Monday Nitro, they're back after a week off in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, in front of 6,899 fans, all paying. So I'm not sure if they did more with paper or not, but that's about 7,000 fans paying, but not so surprised here we're in Crockett country. As we kick things off with Party Hat Pepe, along with Mongo, Bobby Heenan, and Eric Bischoff, to the ring, where the Giant, accompanied by Jimmy Hart, takes on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Jim Duggan wisely attacks the Giant, even dives off the apron, but he's caught and thrown into the ring post by the big man. A bear hug sequence that just goes on far too long for my taste, duggan winds up surviving however and giant misses a charge into the corner which allows duggan to nail the three-point stance clothesline sending the giant over the ropes to the floor but he lands on his feet and he's right back in for another bear hug duggan breaks free once more and goes to the floor which i thought this was kind of clever instead of pulling the tape out of his trunks for once he actually rips the duct tape off the floor that's holding the padding down the mat down outside and wraps it around his fist i thought that was kind of clever as the Giant throws Randy Anderson aside, who visibly still sees Duggan with the tape hanging from his hand, blasts the Giant once, twice, three times, and Giant takes an insanely awesome slow-motion fall, kind of like the one he did off the top rope at Super Bowl with Hogan. I I enjoyed it here. The crowd pops like crazy. Nobody does the old knock-down-the-big-man spot better than Duggan. It was, even, it was great even when he did it at Yokozuna.
1: Oh, yeah. He's good at that spot. Uh, and the giant did a great job of, uh, selling it for him. So and
0: that's, that's at this point, that's about the only thing Jim Duggan's good for is Jimmy Hart distracts while he grabs the tape hanging from Duggan's hand. So Duggan had the duct tape, but it's hanging about three feet off his hand. Jimmy Hart actually grabs a piece of the tape and tugs at Duggan and Duggan clocks Jimmy Hart, but he turns right into the choke slam and the giant gets the win in six minutes and 28 seconds. This felt like it went about five minutes too long.
1: Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, it wasn't horrible. I thought they did okay together. I thought they worked well together uh, just because, like you said, the spots and things like that. And it wasn't too long of I know there's a couple bear hug spots and things like that. Maybe it was because I was skimming uh, just to get past these dead spots. But um, it didn't seem like it was as bad as I figured it would be.
0: Oh, no. I it expected like- this to either go 30 seconds, and once it didn't go 30 seconds— I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. And I agree with you. It was much better than it had any right yeah. being Jim Duggan here in
1: 1996.
0: But at the same time, with all the bear hugs and if, things, I just
1: – I don't get it. Why? Uh, maybe it makes you wonder if uh, Duggan saw, like, okay, it's the Giant. I need to work a little better to keep this guy looking strong or or just doing something more. Or than keep what my I spot. Really I'm, I'm going to – I'm not working Bubba anymore. (laughs) I'm not working Bubba tonight. Isn't that what we just
0: saw last week, or the last Nitro, when Bubba did that with Sting? I'm not working Duggan anymore. Fuck Saturday night. I'm going to go out here and put on a hell of a show. And he did with Sting,
1: Absolutely. and now
0: Duggan kind of turns around and does it here. I don't want to discredit Duggan here, but when I say that the match went five minutes longer than it needed to, I just feel like where Duggan's at on the card, this match just went five minutes longer than it needed to. The Giant, you know, give Duggan his spots, and then choke slam him and take it home. Instead, this is stretched out six and a half minutes. It might be the longest giant match outside of you know his matches with Hogan.
1: It definitely could be. That's interesting. But you it can all, cut this match in like down to one minute and then get a cruiserweights on there for three or four. There you go. I don't even know the last
0: time we've seen a cruiserweight match on this show. It's been um, over a month.
1: Ridiculous.
0: During this match, there were two big signs in the crowd. Call Brian. That's Brian Pillman. One nine hundred two eight eight Pill. Is Brian Pillman seen in the crowd? Brian Pillman comes out with two large banners here, and the cops even intercept him in the front row, trying to stop him from jumping the rail. Doug Dillinger, the security guard, uh, grabs Brian Pillman and drags him away. As Bischoff claims, he's even going down there. Obviously, he doesn't leave the, the uh, announced desk, but he claims he's going to go down there trying to sell this as, uh, you know, Legit shoot. Eric Bischoff trying to work everyone on this angle as he went so nuts behind the scenes, it's reported, that several employees actually believed he was mad about Pillman interrupting the show. However, by working the cameraman and the director, legitimately almost every anybody knew that Pillman was actually there as a work. So they avoided any shots of him, and the whole thing was ineffective, which is true if you watch this. The camera never actually... Hands to Brian Pillman. There's only that one shot of him trying to jump the guardrail. Other than that, you really don't even realize Pillman's involved in this entire melee going on during the Giant and Duggan match.
1: Yeah, I had no idea what the heck it was. I think there made a comment, I think I put in my notes that there was a fan going crazy downside, and then I realized it was Pillman. And they talked like Bischoff kinda announces it. He's like, That's Brian Pillman. And but you can't even see him. Like you have no idea that it's Pillman down there. So, um, yeah, it didn't work out for me. Uh, by the time you realized who it was, you kind of knew it was over. So, uh, and he was getting carried out. So it was, it was. I get what they were trying to do, but it was kind of a waste because they didn't really, it didn't really work out.
0: Right. It's a, it's a case of trying to work everyone, and then you work them too much, <laughs> and you can't even really focus on the story you're trying to tell. So he kind of fucked himself there. Did Eric Bischoff missing again this week? Is another Steve Grissom interview. I know you're sad about that. If you think they spend too much time each week on them, you wouldn't be alone in that assessment, Steve, but it's a Harvey Schiller deal, and thus WCW pretty much has to go along with it. Luckily for us, the WWE Network seems to cut these interviews out.
1: Uh, Good for us, I guess. To be honest with you, man, Uh, I just got a WCW magazine. I got like 10 of them in, and one of them, I can't remember the month, I think it was uh, March of '96. And inside there's a little, there's a whole page dedicated to Steve Grissom winning that Daytona race. (laughs) So um, it wasn't just nitro where they, they pushed this down your throat. It's in the damn magazine too.
0: So the next match was supposed to be the road warriors taking on the nasty boys, but the nasty boys are nowhere to be found. Instead. We have black curtains, pipe and drape hiding some Harley Davidson's. You can hear them revving up. And as the motorcycles bust through these, these silly black curtains, It's the Steiner Brothers, Rick and Scott Steiner, back in WCW. Welcome home to the Steiner Brothers. And it makes you wonder where the Nasty Boys are. The commentators even ponder, we find out they're in a hospital somewhere. And then the question becomes, who put them there? Obviously, it appears like maybe it was the Steiners, but they also speculate it could have been the roadies. It really doesn't matter as we get an unannounced... On Free TV return of the Steiner Brothers versus the Road Warriors. Unfucking believable.
1: Is, is this their return from is this the first time they've been in WWE since they left WWF?
0: Yes. Unless you count that collision in so, Korea, which I guess you really can't.
1: So yes. So they where they, where did they go? Were they in Japan for that uh, year? Your plus. Man man did they, 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 they
0: did shots in japan they you know had that you know a couple shots in ecw i couldn't really tell it's you what the hell they were doing a whole lot
1: during that period sounds like they were just taking some time off i think some batteries.
0: of well i i think a little of that was that when they left in the wwf and what was that 94 or was that yeah yeah was that it was 94 yeah. i think they were still under contract for quite a while so they couldn't jump to wcw immediately at that point And I don't really know what was going on beyond that. I don't really know. what I used to know. I remember doing some research and and shit before, but it's been so long I can't remember. But they are back, and their very first appearance is against the Road Warriors. And I noted immediately that Hawk looks less bloated and more alert this week, probably the first time since they've been back. And this match is just a what's what of uh, (laughs) signature moves here, just from bell to bell. Scott starts off with the rolling belly-to-belly suplex on Hawk, and he forces him to take it, followed by the pump-handle slam. Hawk comes back, knocks Scotty off the middle rope, and nails the big flying clothesline and the neckbreaker. Scott comes back with the double underhook powerbomb. It's funny to see the roadies get thrown around like this, by the way. Tags are made to Rick Steiner and Road Warrior Animal. Animal nails his power slam, standing dropkick, and the big jumping elbow drop. And then Rick Steiner comes back with a Steiner line, but Animal doesn't bump. But a second one sends Animal, whether he wanted to or not, to the mat. And holy shit, Rick Steiner picks Animal up and has him suspended in the air as he releases him in a German suplex. I've never seen the roadies manhandled like this. And a middle rope overhead belly to belly from Rick Steiner onto Animal. Holy shit. And Scott Steiner back in with his own overhead belly to belly on Animal. And then Steiner's actually get some heat on the Road Warrior as we get an LOD chant. Because, of course, we are in Crockett country. A double clothesline by Animal and Scott Steiner send Boltman down. Hot tags to Hawk and Rick Steiner's Hawk takes out both Steiners and the big flying shoulder block on Rick. They then nail their protected doomsday device on Rick Steiner's. Animal takes the bump backwards for him. And Scott Steiner breaks up the pin. Rick Steiner then with a release German on Hawk as the Steiners try their own doomsday device. On hawk but animal distracts and hawk manages to escape that it's a diving clothesline from scott then a diving shoulder or something from animal people dying everywhere bodies laying everywhere in the ring and then scott steiner busted out steve the frankensteiner back in wcw on animal and then they send hawk up for the big steiner bulldog off the top rope and as the ref tries to get scotty out of the ring animal with a spiked elbow pad to the head of rick and the Road Warriors still the win in 10 minutes and 8 seconds. Both teams were over. The roadies a little more over maybe, but it was like a different team tonight the Road Warriors were. This was the best they've looked, and I don't even know how long, and I don't know that they ever have a match like this again. Why wasn't this on Uncensored instead of what we get with the uh, worst match of the year candidate there with the Chicago Street fight?
1: I have no idea why this wasn't Uncensored, but, man, this is – it's like the Steiners came down and they, they was like, roadies, you're working tonight, whether you want to or not. I don't give a shit what you try to pull. You're getting tossed. You're going to sell and you're going to get an ass whooping. And that's pretty much what the Steiners gave them. And, uh, it was the, the finish got kind of sloppy. They missed a few spots. They had to redo Mm -hmm. some things. So it wasn't like crisp and clean, but, um, it's, uh, it, it was fun. It was, uh, it was a blast to watch this. It's it was just cool. like
0: a, it was a showcase of both guys, all of their signature moves. It was tremendous, really good. I don't know that the roadies ever looked this good again. To be honest with you, probably not. Promo time: Gene Okerlund in the ring interviewing the Steiner brothers, and oh boy, a Steiner's promo! How I have not missed these since the 1989 grenade shows. They've been hunting the Road Warriors for four years around the world, and now they followed them to WCW. The way the roadies won tonight was a disgrace. Scotty says the road warriors started it. The Steiners will finish it. Well, that's basically what he said. That's not really what he said, but that's what he meant to say. Sometimes you have to just um, translate for the Steiner brothers. Gene asks them, how about the nasty boys? Scott doesn't even address it. Not because he's trying to hide it or he's doing something heelish. Doesn't want to pretend like they had anything to involve with it. It's just Scott Steiner being Scott Steiner. Gene asks him a question. Scotty wasn't paying attention, and he answers a completely different question <laughs> to end this segment, and it's just a Steiner's promo, as you might imagine. We continue on. I don't know if you watched this or not. It was the awesome 1-900-line ad. I've been waiting for yeah, this really to debut. To home
1: and balance. we've seen a lot of these terrible ones.
0: Yeah, yeah. We've seen a lot of these in 1989, and now I don't know how, much, how often the Steiner's get to talk here as a tag team here in 96. But uh, as we move on with the show, it's the awesome 900-line ad featuring mean ginocle kind of going around sneaking around trying to pick up gossip from some of the wrestlers and in one of the segments you see sting at a dinner table talking with johnny b bad and i find that hilarious because it's only a week or two before bad's obviously gone to the wwf they can no longer use his likeness or at least they no longer want to use his likeness so as this commercial rolls on which they use for months and months to come they put a big black spot over johnny b bad's face Just low-budget WCW shit. I mean, just change the the clip. It's hilarious.
1: That makes too much sense, man.
0: (laughs) Oh, you're going to like this. Headed to the ring next is not only one half of the tag team champions, but he's now also the TV champion, dual champion, total package Lex Luger taking on Alex Wright. This was supposed to be Luger versus Johnny B. Bad in Johnny's return match for the TV title, but as I pointed out, Bad quit earlier in the night. So it's Alex Wright getting the shot here. As Jimmy Hart has power of attorney, we've learned, over Lex Luger, and he pulls Lex Luger from the Chicago street fight at Uncensored. Alex Wright controls the match early on, leaping plancha to the floor, and a top rope double axe handle back in the ring. Wright gets a two count on Lex. Luger pulls Wright by the trunks and sends him face first into the turnbuckle. Works over Wright's back. Alex comes back with the reverse body block, tries an up and over in the corner, but gets caught and eats a snake eyes on the top turnbuckle, and the crowd actually pops because, once again, we're in Crockett country. And believe it or not, even Lex Luger was a Crockett guy. At one time, Alex Wright makes another drop or comeback with a missile drop kick. He goes up top again for a reverse body block, but Jimmy Hart runs down to interfere. Wright winds up kicking Jimmy off the apron and goes for a dive, but Luger catches Alex and drops him in a shitty hot shot and gets the win in 6 minutes and 36 seconds. And again, we get a little bit of comedy here as Luger looks surprised again as he celebrates after the match with Jimmy Hart's standing next to him. Luger says, what are you doing here? This might be the most interesting Jimmy Hart has been since at least 1991.
1: <laughs> Leave it to Lex Luger to get Jimmy Hart over for you. <laughs> Not a bad match, though. Alex Wright did pretty well. Luger did well. Nothing, Nothing bad there.
0: I got a question. Why Lex Luger to get the TV title? I mean, he's already, he's much further up the card than a TV champion. He's always been further up the card than a TV champion. And there's so many guys that could benefit from it right now your your Eddie Guerreros, your Chris Benoit, your Dame Malenko's, your uh, Finley, uh, Belfast Bruisers, Steve Regal. So many guys could really utilize that belt much better Saturday night type guys, if you will, even if you wanted to give it to Big Bubba or or you know Duggan or one of those lower card guys like the guys lower on the on the totem pole. I don't get the the whole idea of putting the belt on luger
1: i I don't know either. he doesn't do anything with it, obviously he just kind of carries it around he never loses it really i mean I know he does, but he doesn't. It it just devalues the title to me. Uh, he's not going to be on Saturday night defending it. He's not going to be in programs for the TV title. It's just on a it's on a main event player when it should be on a mid-card player and making it me- meaningful. And uh, The only thing I can think of is maybe they have a guy in mind to beat him for it down the line, which I highly doubt because Bischoff doesn't know how to book past one week, let alone –
0: well, a Bischoff doesn't book. let's let's make that clear though Bischoff. or kevin sullivan right
1: whoever's booking this shit right. Right. Uh, so like I, I just don't see that being the case at all so other than that i really have no good explanation yeah, as can to why see, i
0: can see kevin right now give it to luga it doesn't matter
1: <sighs> he's never going to defend it so what's the point of having the belt on him that, that makes more sense to me than uh we just need to get on a name like that makes no sense
0: It's main event time. It's a six-man double strap match. You just know Kevin Sullivan's all over this in the booking. Hulk Hogan, the Macho Man, and the Booty Man in a rematch of sorts against Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Kevin Sullivan. And holy shit, has Liz had some work done. I don't know when she had it done, but yowza. You can tell this week with the uh, leopard print or whatever the hell kind of print dress she has on, those breasticles have grown quite a bit over the years. Oh, yeah. And the rules here in this double strap match are it's a lumberjack match, and all of the lumberjacks not only have straps, but the wrestlers in the ring also have straps they can use as well. Talk about overbooking a gimmick match here. And, of course, everyone on the outside has to be in flannels, even the Blue Bloods, which is actually comical, Regal and Bobby Eaton and and whatnot in flannel shirts, but the Faces of Fear, so we can see Haku in a flannel shirt. If you ever wonder what anybody looked like in a flannel here, Just uh, go watch this episode of Nitro. The Giant, DDP, he he gets a white trash flannel shirt, of course. Loch Ness, they even found a flannel to fit Loch Ness here. The Road Warriors out here, Conan and Dave Sullivan, who I didn't even realize was still on the payroll in 1996. Giant holds Hulk Hogan up for Ric Flair to lay in some chops on the floor. And Loch Ness wants to take a shot with the strap. But Hogan ducks and Loch Ness nails the Giant. Giant immediately clocks Loch Ness, and they begin brawling, if you want to call it that, up the aisle. It was awful. Loch Ness looked like he didn't even—it's almost like it wasn't even scripted, and he had no idea what the hell was happening. The look on his face and the terrible pulled punches he was throwing at the Giant. It was it was terrible.
1: Yeah, he could barely get up the ramp. So this is what started their match at Uncensored, right? Yes. This, was, uh, this is what kind of led to it. So um, at least they gave us something. Instead of just you know getting uncensored and say hey here's the match, uh, at least it has some sort of meaning behind it. I didn't mind it, and they got him out of there, so they didn't look ridiculous for the whole match.
0: So this is a you six... don't want
1: those big guys wearing that shit.
0: No, it's ridiculous, and it's a so this is a six man tag lumberjack match, double strap match, There's straps everywhere. The giant and Loch Ness have now brawled off into their own world, and Kimberly comes out with flowers again, scouting the Booty Man. Mongo wonders who is she looking for. Eric Bischoff responds, "Not Johnny B. Bad, that's for sure. Way to stick it in there, Eric. Talk about overbooked nonsense. This shit is every. I don't. I can't even fathom what the fuck is going on at this point in this match. There's six guys in the ring going at it. Half of the uh, lumberjacks are beating the shit out of each other outside of the ring. I don't know. And there's Kimberly in the fucking aisleway with flowers. I-, I don't know. If Flair finally bails. He." It shows you how good the lumberjacks are. Ric Flair bails and he makes it all the way back to the entrance before he stops to allow Animal to catch up to him and carry him back to the ring. Meanwhile, Hulk Hogan takes out all of the heel lumberjacks single-handedly on the floor because he's Hulk Hogan. Ric Flair is more over than Hogan here, I noted, though. They were they were popping big, loud woo chants as Flair laid in chops on the Hulkster. But out of nowhere, no build up, just in the middle of nowhere, Big boot and a leg drop from the Hulkster on Ric Flair gets the win in six minutes and 27 seconds. What made it even more ridiculous was he did it right next to Kevin Sullivan and Sullivan had to pretend like he didn't see it and walk away so he could justify why he didn't break the count up. This was a clusterfuck.
1: Oh yeah, this was bad. This was terrible. And the finish was horrible too. Like Flair's your world champion and he just, Gets a big boot and leg drop out of nowhere, and that's it. And it was I mean, it was Job out of point. nowhere.
0: There was no build up, there was no hulk up, <laughs> like, there was not there was no spot.
1: No. There was nothing. And uh, that that essentially that's your world champion. And he just jobbed out like a bitch. Like it made no sense. The match was terrible. It was a cluster. I don't know what you expect when you have this sort of match going on. Six man tag strap match, lumberjack. Like that's you hear that, you can already tell it's terrible. Very very shit inning to an overall decent show. Yeah, talk and about. It over, does make you wonder. That, that, like that, I know that, you mentioned it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No,
0: you're fine. Man. I was just gonna say. Talk about. It was just absolutely ridiculously overbooked.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I was just gonna say like you mentioned, Bischoff basically refuting everything Meltzer said, and I don't want to be the one to take Meltzer's side on anything, but it, he he took a lot of shots at Johnny B. Bad tonight in this match. He took shots at him when Luger came out. He, and, and things like that. So he he took the time and the effort <laughs> to go out of his way to trash Johnny B. Bad on his way out the door, even though the dude was working without a contract and he still was professional enough to come back and drop the title on you instead of doing what you did with the Blaze. So I it's hard for me to believe what Bischoff is selling because he hates Dave Meltzer. So when you hate somebody, you're not going to give him any credit as far as anything they get right. Uh, whether it's true or not, so no, I think there's partial truths in such. there,
0: but I also think a lot of this anger here, that Bischoff or frustration Bischoff's letting out here, is he knows where where Johnny's going or Marrow's, he knows where Mark Marrow's going, and you know obviously that couldn't have made him yeah, happy. But,
1: well, I get that, but also he has to realize now that he's got Hall and Nash coming. Right. So is it really that bad that Johnny B. Bad's leaving? Like, who cares? Just let him go out the door. See ya. Uh right. but I, I, I get it. He's just making shots to make it sound like John B. Bad couldn't hack it with the big boys, so he's going to the WWF and messing right. with those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you do that and then you turn around and <laughs> your two new hot off the press guys come in and it's like, Okay, you just trashed this dude for going to the WWF, but you're gonna take two of WWF's guys to come over. So you look like shit too. If they're so bad, why are you signing them? Right. Yeah. So it's, I gotta feel like I feel like there's some animosity there. Those comments were, I don't know, felt feel like there's a little sting to them.
0: I'm sure I'm sure he wasn't uh, happy. I just uh, don't know that everything happened the way Dave Meltzer reported. I'm sure am sure there's probably, to some of it.
1: That's probably probably accurate for sure.
0: We close out this episode of Nitro though. Mean Gene in the ring with Kevin Sullivan, Ric Flair, and Arn Anderson for a change instead of the baby faces. Sullivan talks the doomsday cage match, claims Arn Anderson is in cage one, Sullivan and Luger in cage two, Ric Flair in cage three. It was very confusing. I don't think they had an idea of what they were doing yet with the cage, which is scary because we're only a couple weeks out. Arn Anderson says, when you marry, you tell God till death do us part. Well, they've been married to Hogan and Savage for at least the past 10 weeks, and this won't be over until death do us part. Nothing here tonight even vaguely resembled wrestling. That's a shoot. <laughs> I love that line here. Arn Anderson knows what he's talking about, but he does call it a sample of uncensored. Y- you have not even begin. <laughs> Just a sample of what we see it uncensored here. Ric Flair closes the promo. He says, You can whip Sullivan, Flair, and Arn, but don't touch woman or Liz. He wants to know where Hogan's at now, and he's got Macho's woman. He's got Savage's number, He's got the whole world in his head. so that's where Bray Wyatt stole that from. Ric Flair storms the announce desk, but we end the show. Hot way to come off a, a no show next uh, last week. So there was no show last week. They come back with a really, really, really super episode this week. Other than that six man match, everything else on the show was great.
1: Yeah, it was a really good, really good show. Uh, you just cut out the last ten minutes and you'd be just fine. Uh, you'd have a solid show. They're getting, they're kind of getting some of it figured out. They're getting some of that undercard stuff figured out and and things like that. But they just, for whatever reason, I don't think they can consistently put together a decent show top to bottom, like beginning to end, not necessarily segment to segment, but beginning to end, they just can't figure out a way to get it good.
0: So segment of the night, was it that strap shit fest at the end of the show? The Steiners return to take on the road warriors, Pillman showing up in the crowd or Lex Luger and Alex Wright, I'll throw that in there just because you're the one making a decision here.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Uh, no, there's no way you can't pick the roadies and Steiners. Like you said, this is the Road Warriors' best match in a long time, um, probably their best match in this entire run. Probably, hell, probably their best match, their last good match ever, uh, outside yeah. of maybe that street fight at WrestleMania 13, if that's your style. So pure wrestling match, I would say – this is probably the last best match, um, and this was awesome. They beat the shit out of each other. I, I just wish we could have seen this in 89 uh, with a feud and a story. Yeah, that would have been some. Too bad we ain't covering this match on the grenade <laughs> outside of uh, what we got coming up with Starcade. But, uh, right. yeah, it's very unfortunate that that didn't happen. But, yeah, this is an awesome match.
0: Yeah, you can't deny the Steiner's and Rhodes match is easily the segment of the night here for Nitro. As we move on, more WWF notes real quick. The Superstars taping on March 10th in Corpus Christi, DeMeltz reports a newcomer named either Craig Johnson or Dwayne Johnson got a pin over the Brooklyn Brawler. DeMeltz says he's not sure who the guy was, but it was a tryout match, and he looked green, but okay. Meanwhile, on that same taping, the ringmaster changed his name to Stone Cold Steve Austin. So Dwayne Johnson and Stone Cold, all in the same taping. Very interesting.
1: Wow. I did not know that. They basically started together. Yeah, to a degree, yeah.
0: yeah. Also, we learned that Hakushi is gone from the company, and the only thing I can say about that is good for him. Thank God. And I don't mean that because I yeah, want him gone. It. I just I wish right. him so much better here. <laughs>
1: They yeah, can't thank get any God, words. in the sense that that he's gonna go to greener pastures. Yes, absolutely. It's just absolutely. unfortunate we never really got what he could have been.
0: Yeah. Leave it to Vince as we kick off Monday Night Raw for March 11th here live. This is a live episode of Raw in the Freeman Coliseum, San Antonio, Texas, the home of Shawn Michaels, and we start off with Savio Vega in the ring with Stone Cold Steve Austin, accompanied by Ted DiBiase. The Chiron reads Stone Cold Steve Austin, but Vince actually calls him the ringmaster before changing it up about a minute or two into the actual match. We see Mark Henry ringside. This is before he joined the WWF. At this point, he's headed to the Olympi- the Olympics in 96 there in Atlanta, and the WWF are going to be his sponsors. So that's why we see Mark Henry ringside here. Is they have plans to make him a wrestler someday. As the match gets going, it's back and forth. Austin takes over with a nasty clothesline to the back of Savio's head. After that, it's methodical, take him apart style offense from the former ringmaster. Austin finally runs into a spin kick in the, as he charges into the corner, and Savio makes the comeback. And another spin kick in the corner as Savio takes the bump to the floor. Austin, you can see as he jumps into the corner to take that kick, puts his feet on the bottom turnbuckle so that he can take a a backflip bump kind of over the top rope to the floor as well, along with Savio. So he's still trying to bump like the stone cold or the stunning Steve Austin of old and WCW, but giving some of his nagging injuries, probably not a wise idea here, but I can respect that he's really trying to put Savio over and really make himself stand out here. But they go to the floor here during that spot, and they wind up brawling on the outside and up onto the apron where they wind up both being countered out in 6 minutes, 20 seconds. But they don't hear the bell. They continue to fight in the ring back and forth, rolling around, trading punches. They can't be separated. Finally, Savio nails the flying, spinning heel kick, sends Austin to the floor to end the segment.
1: This was good stuff. These two work perfect together. Uh, I love this feud. This is kind of the start of it. You didn't really know it. It just kind of seems like a throwaway match where two guys with names are in there you can see the heat and the intensity that these two bring out of each other and Savio's great man he makes anybody look good uh, especially here when he gets a little bigger and turns into like Los Beriquezas and stuff he kind of gets a little lazy
2: yeah
1: but uh he hasn't hit he hasn't gotten there yet and uh he still looks awesome he yeah, still yeah i blame does i blame the job, uh, so.
0: i blame the nation for Savio's downfall as far as his work rate goes anyway
1: yeah once he got in there, I know there's a match on Raw with um, Undertaker that's coming up in '98, I think, '97 maybe. Oh man, it looks so bad. <laughs> like there's so many, there's like so many close near misses that they're lucky they were near misses because somebody could end up really hurt. But um, we'll talk about that when we get there. But yeah, yeah it so was- it, this feud, I'm glad that we get this before he gets to that point. Right.
0: Yeah. And so we do get Austin and Savio Vega at WrestleMania. And this is the beginning of it right here. This this fight you see right here is both guys really know how to put it over and get it over. And this feud actually will continue on to superstars where for some odd reason, Steve Austin is picked to replace Razor Ramon in the tag team title tournament as Savio's partner. And so on the March 23rd edition of superstars, it will be Austin and Savio taking on the body donnas in the semifinals of the tag tournament. But the finish sees Austin refusing to tag in, walking away, and then as Vega kind of clears the house on his own and goes for the cover, Austin comes off the top rope onto Vega and basically costs his own team the win. And the body down is then advanced to the finals at WrestleMania. So that continues their feud. Obviously, that's not part of Raw, but anybody that was kind of curious how this continued, there there you have it. And that kind of continues to set up their match at WrestleMania.
1: Simple but effective.
0: Absolutely. We continue on, and we see earlier tonight, before Raw, Mark Henry tosses Jerry Lawler around the ring. He's headed to the Olympics. As I pointed out, sponsored by the WWF, they got to put over their their American athlete, Mark Henry, here. We'll see how he does there in the Olympics. WWF denim jackets, $23. I'm not into denim, so we'll move on. Vince McMahon in the ring, out first, gold dust, accompanied by Marlena. Followed by Rowdy Roddy Piper, so we get Goldust and Piper in the ring. As Razor, of course, is suspended now. the The idea of the Miami Street fight has been put not put on hold. It's been done. It's put away. Uh, as Razor's jump into WCW, Roddy Piper is going to give Goldust a piece of his mind. Goldust wants a piece of something else. Piper's been in seventeen movies. Never seen Goldust in a movie except maybe in a dark alley making a few quarters. Yikes. Goldust isn't fooling anyone, says the hot rod. He just wants attention. These are all mind games. Piper again references Goldust, compares him to Adrian Adonis and their feud back in 86 87. Piper says, Let's get the sexuality right. Goldust is what he is, and Piper is a lesbian. I guess because he likes girls. Piper admits it takes a real talent to become the intercontinental champion like Goldust, but Goldust should be proud. Of the prestige, but instead he's messing with Piper to move up the ranks. Piper then says, Not even Freddy Krueger comes into Roddy's nightmares. Goldie gets down on his knees and crawls over to Hot Rod, tries to feel on Piper's leather jacket as he asks Piper to come to his back lot. Goldust remains on his knees as he crawls around behind Piper. Rubbing on his leather jacket, Piper trying to ignore him, but then Goldust does the unthinkable. He tries to lift up Piper's kilt, get a peek underneath the kilt of the hot rod. Roddy finally grabs Goldust by his arm, yanks him up as the two go face to face. But it doesn't take long for Goldust to try to undo Roddy Piper's belt. Even touches Roddy across the chin and begins to rub himself, sticking his tongue out and licking it. <laughs> to and fro, <laughs> I guess. Best way to describe it. Piper shoves him back, but Goldust smacks Roddy Piper. And Piper fights right back. Nails Goldust, who takes a bump. Roddy promises he's going to make a man out of Goldust come WrestleMania. And I wrote, is it a coincidence that Roddy has had some of the better in ring promo segments lately on these shows? He's really done a good job with these and Goldust, holy shit yet another week of this stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, Piper's been awesome. Uh, he's, he, you know, in all this, all this stuff he said and just all the comments, he got in there. It takes a great athlete and the prestige of being an IC champion. So during all this, he's still putting Goldust over. Like, Goldust can't just play mind games his way to the IC title. It takes a great athlete to do that. And so he, he did a great job of putting him over with that that line and then obviously... The rest of the stuff was was damn good as well. This entire segment was awesome. Both guys did great. Goldust again. Us talking about it does us no justice. So if it's been a long time since you people watched it or you've forgotten about it, just go back and watch his segments. And um, just it's hard to even explain what you're watching why why it's so great. Most people will turn this on like if and if you don't know any better, like, mean, this is terrible. What the hell is this guy doing? He's rubbing up all over this guy or what the heck is going on. But now I understand what he's doing and it's man, it's next level stuff. I, I hate to repeat myself over and over, but every week he ups the ante and he raises the bar of what gold dust can be. And um, I'm still entertained as hell from it. It falls apart when he gets with Luna and things like that and all the different gimmicks and outfits and stupid shit that he goes through but yeah he's far from there and uh this initial run of gold dust was was awesome
0: yeah and i mean like you said uh describing these things or even playing sound bites it doesn't really do 10 percent justice uh to what this looks like when you're actually watching these segments so absolutely do yourself a favor and go out and uh, check out these episodes of raw and just kind of get an idea of the early instances of uh the Goldust character and, and some of the crazy shit that, the, that he did to, to get it over. Great job. Show goes on. It's the Godwins in the ring with Hillbilly Jim in their corner, taking on Alex Porteau and Jerry Meade. We've seen Porto a lot lately here on the Grenade in 1989 NWA. And now he's here in the WWF in 96. And it won't be long before he's the pug, Alex Porteau, For as far as that goes, Phineas has duct tape instead of athletic tape ripped around, uh, wrapped around his wrist. I thought that was clever. As he goes crazy, or as JR would put it, he has one of his spells, kicking, mule-kicking the air and going nuts in the ring. I always enjoyed that. that. was the only thing I enjoyed from Phineas Godwin. As Hank delivers the slop drop to Porto, and the Godwins get an easy win here in a minute and 50 seconds as they'll make their way to the finals of the tag title tournament at WrestleMania. Show goes on. It's Shawn Michaels returning home. To San Antonio, we get a vignette of Shawn preparing for his match at WrestleMania. He introduces his mentor, Jose Lothario, who trained him at age 19. And here we are 11 years later, and now Shawn is challenging for the world title at WrestleMania. He puts this over like it's a big deal, and it is Steve, but he completely ignores that he did the same exact thing last year. Uh, So we get a couple clips here of Shawn doing a workout, some handstand push-ups, absolutely insane. And running the bleachers, things like that. So Shawn Michaels returns home to San Antonio,
1: yeah, those handstand pushups were always impressive. I, I like this is something different that they didn't they've never really done before either. Kind of show guys working out getting ready for their match. obviously, the Hogans and stuff he did his he did his thing, and you've seen it. But to sell a match and the, the distinct differences on how Shawn's getting ready compared to what Brett's doing, uh, I thought it was really cl- clever and different. At this point, nothing in the ring is going to enhance this match at all. Nothing any guy can do in the ring is going to help it or sell it even more than it already is being sold. So doing this and showing how they're getting ready to last an hour well, was very well done.
0: Absolutely. And we kind of get the other half of this now. As we go to Bret Hart, he gets his own vignette because he's, he's, you knew he was going to get his own vignette. He returns to Calgary. He returns home himself. And then Brett begins to put himself over like no other. No shocker there. He says, Calgary was the toughest territory, basically, is what Brett says here. He says, Sean's roots. (laughs) Well, he says, Sean's roots is fast-moving Mexican style. Brett doesn't know any tough Mexican wrestlers. Wow. Brett's mentor is his father, Stu Hart. And nobody knows submissions better than the hitman. He feels like those are going to come into play big time. In the iron man match brett says he has more experience and his experience is better than sean's experience sean is a ping pong ball bouncing around the ring with his moves he has no effective moves but a big kick people believe sean is the best wrestler and that drives brett nuts this sounded so real i can't even begin to tell you how real this felt some of the lines coming out of Bret Hart here. He says, Shawn Michaels can't even lace Bret's boots. I thought these guys were friends. Shawn Michaels takes the babyface approach. Bret Hart just sounds like a motherfucker.
1: He sounds like Bret Hart. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's I don't know, yeah.
1: I don't know. I don't know what you expected from this. And, uh, I mean, he's probably, in a way, he's probably not wrong. I mean, Calgary, from the stories I've heard, to the bus tours and just going all the places and being out in the middle of negative, like 30 degree weather on a bus with 12, 20, 20, to 30 people and going town to town. That seems pretty difficult compared to Texas circuit, things like that. So I get where he's coming from there. But yeah, I mean, this just screams Bret Hart. I, he thinks he's the greatest thing ever. I mean, if that's that's fine. I don't have any issues with it. That's how he wants to feel and nobody's going to change his mind obviously. And so it's just, uh, um, there was
0: there were so many heel shots here to a degree where it was unnecessary I thought like uh there are no tough Mexican wrestlers like say that today. There are no tough Mexican re- apparently nobody's tough in Mexico according to the hitman here. And then he, he's, uh... he shits all over Sean's offense. Like, how are you selling this as a very competitive match when you say this guy has no moves but a big kick? And then that sentence where he says, people believe Sean is the best wrestler, that drives me nuts. That just sounded like he completely broke kayfabe. That just sounded, the the way he delivered it, it just sounded absolutely 100% real.
1: Yeah, and I I know he hates this build to WrestleMania 12 because he's like, you watch the videos over and it makes me look like I'm really old. Cause I'm in like sweats and a jacket running the mountains in Calgary where it's all dark and gloomy. And then they got Sean and a gym in Texas doing handstand pushups and working in the ring and and things like that. Right. He's like, it's a complete polar opposite. And he's like, you could tell based off of these videos who was winning. You already knew who was winning based off these vignettes. If you was paying attention, it's the old guy versus the next big thing or the next new thing. The new toy that's coming through town. And, um, Brett wasn't really happy with these vignettes. And I, I can see where he's coming from, but it's stupid to, to feel that way. It's like, who cares, man? Get over yourself for 10 minutes. And I, I love Brett Hart. He's probably one of my favorites, but I can, I realize the issues that Brett has. And, I, and to be honest with you, I don't think he can get out of his own way. Uh, this is just the way he feels. This is his life. It's always been his life from the day he came out. Until the day he dies wrestling is his life. Yeah. So he, by default, he takes it way more serious than anyone else probably does. Because it's a different mentality when you're born into it. It's your livelihood. It's your family's livelihood. It's your whole life's work for a 100 years or however long Stu was doing it.
0: Sure, but you never saw Owen take it this seriously. He was looking to get out. Yeah,
1: but I mean, but Owen never really wanted to do it from what I can gather. Like, he never really wanted to be that wrestler, but he was good at it, so he just kept doing it. Brett is the one that wanted to be the greatest. He always wanted his dad's admiration, and he always wanted to be that guy that was the best. And that's what he wanted to do in his life. And when somebody slights him by saying, well, Sean's better than you, that's going to piss him off. And I I kind of get the move thing. He's, He's probably comparing it to his five moves of doom compared to Sean's. So, like, I, I get where he's coming from. Like, you just don't know what Sean's going to do match to match. He has his spots, but it's not formulaic like a Flair or Brett matches, you right. know?
0: Yeah, well, this will continue because WrestleMania is still several weeks away, and there's another match scheduled for WrestleMania. We'll listen to this real quick first before we get to that. He was faster than a cheetah, stronger than a grizzly.
2: More terrifying than a great white shark. And just when they thought it was safe to go back into the ring. He's back. And you ain't seen nothing yet.
0: So this is where we learn the warrior is back. We already knew he was returning. He's returning at WrestleMania. And they announced right here that he's wrestling Triple H at WrestleMania. And I wrote, wasn't Roddy Piper supposed to make some big announcement, a big shocker as to who the Warriors opponent was supposed to be? So I'm wondering, was it really intended to be somebody bigger than Triple H? And they kind of settled on Triple H here? I don't, I don't really know, but that's the match. And we kind of get a little fanfare here as they announce it. As Triple H makes his way to the ring, accompanied by Michelle Snickler. Can't believe that's a name taking out Vin Greer, not familiar with this guy. It's a paint-by-numbers squash with the pedigree picking up the win here for Hunter in a minute and 52 seconds as we head on to the geriatric match report with Scheme Gene. He talks to the Huckster versus the Nacho Man at WrestleMania, Billionaire Ted as referee. There will be no handcuffs or ladies' shoes allowed <laughs> at ringside. We see the Huckster in training as he looks like an old man kind of falling over and he can't do sit-ups and a lot of jokes, like the inside joke, not inside jokes, just jokes about Hogan's age here. Then we see the nacho man in trading and all they're doing there is spray painting his bald spot. They promise that next week we'll see billionaire Ted at the FTC hearings. I don't remember that one. So curious to see what they do there. Will there be nightfall tonight? asks scheme gene. He can't tell you here on TV, but ha, call the hotline and we'll find out if nightfall will come tonight. <laughs>
1: The 1 900 lying badly. Yes. <laughs> <Miss. laughs> Flashing on the screen when he's saying that. Pretty funny. Like the, the Huckster and Nacho Man stuff was stupid, but that line there at the end kind of salvaged it a little bit. Pretty funny. Yeah,
0: the, the Ho- I, I kind of groaned at the Hogan stuff. It really wasn't even funny at all. The savage thing I got a chuckle out of, but I mean, it was fast and over with. I did like how they, that line at the end, uh, will there be nightfall tonight? Call the hotline. I can't tell you on TV, but call the That's. <laughs> Very much mean Gene here. As we head into the main event, it's The Undertaker, teaming with former foe Yokozuna, taking on Bulldog and Owen Hart. Diesel with a backstage promo during the entrances. He says, upcoming matches with he and HBK taking on Bret Hart and The Undertaker at the house shows. Diesel hopes the rumors of Sean aren't true. Vince asks, what rumors? But Diesel doesn't respond. I was confused too. What rumors? Meanwhile, Undertaker and Yoko go nose to nose in the ring. This is the first time they've ever had to team up. Yoko's a freshly turned babyface. Owen and Bulldog try to attack the two, but the babyfaces are ready. And they take over. The faces dominate. That is until Diesel comes to ringside and nails Paul Bearer, lays him out on the floor, which leads to the Undertaker going after Diesel backstage, which is kind of heelish for the Undertaker because it leaves Yoko all alone in the ring to take on both Bulldog and Owen as we go into commercial break. Coming back, Owen and Bulldog double-team Yoko, but Yoko makes the big comeback on both of them, which leads once again to Vader in yet another sweatshirt to hide those surgery scars, attacking Yokozuna from behind, allowing the uh, Yoko and I guess the Undertaker to pick up a DQ win here in 5 minutes and 30 seconds. Post-match sees Ahmed Johnson, I want to say Jake, but that's just not true, Ahmed Johnson makes the save. He takes out Owen, takes out Bulldog, even takes out Vader all by himself. Finally, Jake the Snake Roberts arrives. Like I said, they need to give this guy a head start to get to the ring. Jake shows up like a minute later as the heels take over on the, on the babyfaces momentarily. Jake tied up in the ropes, Owen and Cornette pounding on Jake, Vader beating on Yokozuna, Bulldog with a tennis racket on Ahmed. But then the babyfaces make that Superman comeback. And we see Yoko and Vader rolling around on the mat, uh, just setting up the six man tag for WrestleMania here.
1: Yeah, I, w- I was disappointed in this. I wish uh, Yoko and Undertaker got to work a little bit longer together. Yeah, I understand why they did it, but I was like, they looked really good together, and obviously they're friends outside of the outside of the ring and things like that. So uh, they are going to work pretty well together. They had that chemistry that you would want in one of these like special tag team type matches. It's just so fortunate it lasted like two and a half minutes, if that. But um. Crowd went pretty nuts for uh, the Yoko's comeback and things like that. So he's definitely over as a face. I mean, he fans are loving it, and uh, Vader I think helps with that just because he's so over as a heel, as a right. monster badass. So anytime he gets his comeuppance, e- even if it's Yoko, they uh, they appreciate it. So um, all in all, like people care about this feud right now, and that's all you can really ask for for a main event or not a main event match, but a WrestleMania match. You want people to be invested in it somewhat, and they've done a great job of continuing this on. Just seeing these two beat the shit out of each other is awesome.
0: Yeah, and obviously, you know, the match went five and a half minutes, but that's with commercial. As you pointed out, about two and a half minutes was shown on the actual TV program. This was clearly, even though it was a match, it was more so built to set up two different WrestleMania matches, obviously Diesel and The Undertaker, and then the six-man tag as well. So that's what this segment was really set up to do, just sell the WrestleMania card, basically. I agree with you. I would have liked to have seen Yoko and uh, Taker do a little more together as a tag team here, but it wasn't meant to be because it wasn't really the story they were trying to tell. Uh, Segment of the night, Steve, was it Savio Vega and Stone Cold, the Yoko match and all the aftermath, uh, Goldie and Piper, or the Sean Brett video series?
1: Well, it's definitely not Brett and Sean. I went with Vega and, and Stone Cold. I love this feud. These dudes work great together. Like all, like you mentioned earlier, Austin is still selling, like stunning Steve Austin, and flying around the ring, and just and Savio just works great with that, and obviously Savio is returning the favor. So I know this is the start of a uh, pretty long few, but it's very entertaining and very good matches coming up. So I'm excited for those. Uh, like I mentioned just a minute ago, I would really, I would have picked the main event. I just wish it was a little bit longer because I wanted to see Yoko and Taker work together a a little bit longer. Yeah, that would have made
0: quite a a superpower team
1: uh, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, I think I got to go with uh, Vega and Stone Cold as well. I was kind of undecisive. I was deciding between that and the Goldust-Piper promo because I thought Piper did another great job this week, and Goldust really did his part as well, mind you. But I think I got to lean towards the Vega and Stone Cold match just because there was actual action involved. and. I just I felt like the wrestling was more important this week in that match and the story, because again, another match, everything on this show builds to WrestleMania, and that's no different. Vega and Austin will wrestle at WrestleMania.
1: Yep. so good job, Vince.
0: And the ratings are in. WCW Nitro does a 3.2 rating and a 4.7 share to Monday Night Raw's 2.9 rating and 4.2 shares. So WCW wins in the ratings after a week off. It also explains the record-setting replay number that Nitro does this week, a 1.5, which is what like Vince is doing now, I think, <laughs> or something like that anyway. So uh, there we have it. WCW Nitro takes a week off. They come back, and the crowd's right back uh, viewing Nitro. Nitro's winning again.
1: Not surprised. They missed their Nitro.
0: So you tell me, Steve, who's the real winner here? I mean, Raw was pretty solid uh, all throughout, all the WrestleMania storylines and things being told. But Nitro was pretty good up until that last segment as well with the, the, the nonsense, all the horse shit.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm I'm going with Nitro on this one. Uh, the two non-finish and then we got two jobber matches. It's just really not going to cut it when you have names against each other on every match on Nitro. Um I felt like, this is my caveat here, they did a good job of putting on better matches, but the booking in the WWF is still leaps and bounds better than what WCW is doing at this point. I'm going with Nitro just because of the matches involved and nothing else, but I think if I was doing this in 1996, I would have picked Raw just because I would be so excited for WrestleMania 12 uh, because it's WrestleMania. And so the booking and the, the storytelling that they did in Raw was very very good and better than anything on nitro altogether but at this point i hate to say this because i'm not it's not fair so to speak but i'm just basing it off the action and uh the action was better on nitro
0: yeah so it's it's just a a different time now i mean we're 25 years removed i i totally get it yeah um if you're, if you're living in 1996, uh, WWF is still on, on course, and it proves why they were the better company overall for all those years because they were amazing at storytelling and just everything making sense and really building up their pay-per-views, whereas WCW just threw shit on pay-per-views for the most part. So I agree with you, man. If, there was, if we're sitting here in 1996, you would not only be hyped for uh, Raw and WrestleMania, uh, you would probably have to choose that just because it did a, a tremendous job. Of selling what's coming up. But mm-hmm. we're sitting here just watching it in hindsight, and I agree with you the wrestling was just overall better on Nitro, and that's why I'm probably gonna have to go Nitro too. Even though it's it's kinda sad because I, I guess Raw really was the better show based on what it was accomplishing. But overall entertainment yeah. wise, I, I gotta go W C W for the better
1: matches. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going based off of what entertained me the most. And I was more entertained with what was going on with nitro like i totally forgot the steiners coming back so when i saw them on the harley's I was like oh shit, the steiners are fighting then all of a sudden i heard the road warriors music and i'm like oh this is gonna be good and this is like a week ago when i watched it so i was pumped right now to see this match and i think a lot of that has to do with doing the memory grenade from 1989 so it's like this is one of those matches i wish we had back then outside of the starcade stuff so I was really excited for that. Whereas I know the matches. I know the outcomes of WrestleMania 12. So it's just like, oh, this is the build of WrestleMania 12. Who cares? It's not my favorite WrestleMania. It's kind of one of those ones that gets talked about just because of Brett and Sean a little bit. But for the most part, it's kind of lackluster. So the build itself is really solid. It's just I know the outcomes of the matches. So it's kind of hard to be entertained. Like, yeah, I know this, that type of deal. Right. So it's not fair to Raw at this point.
0: No, it's not. But, uh, yeah, I got to go WCW there as well. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly over the whole thing. You look at things on one side, WCW's leading into uncensored. Meanwhile, WWF has WrestleMania upcoming. It also makes it more interesting as well, storyline purpose-wise anyway. But at the end of the day, it's action right now. And I, I remember that roadies and Steiners match myself. I remember turning on Nitro when they were both standing across the ring from one another. And the first question I ask is when the hell did the Steiners come back? I didn't realize that was that was their return, but I was like, holy shit! I got the Steiners and the Road Warriors across the ring from each other as I'm flipping channels, so yeah, I could see how that won over, you know, some of the fans as well.
1: Oh yeah, especially if you like turn it on like you did. You flip the channel like, oh shit, the Steiners are here. Okay, I'm gonna stay on here because who else is gonna come out? Who else is gonna be here? That sort of deal. That that unknown aspect of What's going to happen next is still fresh in a lot of people's minds, and as of to up to this point, WCW's killed WWF in those surprises. Yeah, um, and
0: they've won quite a bit of the Luger, ratings too here. Uh, go, yeah, here. Luger,
1: yeah, Luger, Blaze, Public Enemy, Sabu. I mean, we've seen all these guys come and go, so it's like it seems like every two or three weeks you can count on somebody new showing up. Vince just doesn't have that going. He's bringing back old guys like Jake and Marty Jannetty, and they serve their purpose name value-wise, but they're not bringing anybody fresh and new in outside right. of Steve Austin and Vader, and they're kind of saving them guys for pay-per-views.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, they got Mark Merrill coming. Maybe he'll save everything. We'll see.
1: That's right. That's right. I'll catch Jack Mark. on the way
0: in too. That's true. Mankind's on his way in. So they got a couple guys coming in anyway. But I get what you're saying. Absolutely. I mean these these are established major stars, and uh, even on the under you know the underground with like Sabu and Public Enemy and things. So very big deal. Uh, Bishop's doing a good job of acquiring some talent for sure, and that's really helping with the ratings as well. I'm, I I would have to believe on top of it being the Monday Night War, it's just who am I going to see this week? But Steve, man, I appreciate you being here for another episode of Monday Warfare: The Battles Within, as we continue on with March. Uh, next time, it's another two weeks of Nitro, another two weeks of Raw as we head into Uncensored and eventually WrestleMania. It's a very busy time here uh, of year in the world of professional wrestling.
1: It's coming up on us now in real life. Um, the WrestleMania build, which I can care less about. Uh, I'll definitely watch WrestleMania because it's Mania, but other than that, who cares? Um, but yeah, it is fun. And, you know, Uncensored is already up on. It's already up on Patreon, right? You can go listen to that now. Yeah, you
0: guys can go right now to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Join that $5 all-access tier. Gets you all the watch-along series. And that includes Uncensored 96, and pretty soon it'll include include
1: Wrestlemania 12 as well. Definitely go check that out, and uh, we'll be back with some more action on Monday Warfare, right? Absolutely. We'll be back very, very soon. In fact,
0: we'll be back next week with more Monday Warfare. Steve, once again, (laughs) thank you. Uh, And for Steve Ekstat, I'm Ray Russell. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Monday Warfare, The Battles Within.